0: Once there, she sold what she could and secreted the rest so she would not become a target for thieves. She traded some of her jewelry for a horse and plotted her course southward with the help of the local merchants as they fawned over the finery of her goods. Then she rode, for long, hard hours, until weariness overtook her and she hid herself in the trees while she slept. The woods were perilous with beasts and bandits, but she had, in her time traveling, learned to use her beauty and her tongue to gain the trust of people, and she was well warned of the road's dangers. Only once did she have to use her knife for her own defense, driving away a highwayman, fleeing from the cities grown crowded with the elderly, and even he seemed to be racked with an age that did not belong to him. Indeed, it seemed that the further she traveled, the more the witch's handiwork became visible. Every town she approached was crowded with the infirm, and from every side young eyes peered out at her from old faces. The highwayman accosted her on a dark forest road some two weeks into her journey, alone and poorly armed. She only dismounted because he threatened to injure the horse, and the sight of the knife was enough to dissuade him from his malice. He cowered before her, throwing away his rusted sword and begged for mercy, telling her he hoped to bargain her youth for his own, stolen from him in a poor bargain with the evil queen of that land and the princess knew that the queen he meant was the same hag who had stolen her prince away from her. She granted the highwayman his life, she had never meant to take it, after all, in exchange for information. He described to her a beautiful queen in pure white garments, with dark hair that flowed over her shoulders and down her back like an ermine cloak, a pure, spotless face of porcelain white and dark grey eyes the color of a fetid bog. She ruled from the high palace in the east, but could often be found astride a gleaming golden device in the shape of a butterfly, which she had turned to her purposes, going speedily from town to town and promising her protection in exchange for the years of their lives. She was powerful, and retained an army of strong young men in dark purple garb, their faces young and pure but their hearts mercenary and cruel. Those villages who did not bargain with her, she burned, taking all that was precious or beautiful from them and keeping it to herself. And always she asked after a wandering castle, a great tower on turtle's legs higher than the clouds that only faint legends remembered. And the princess was confused, for surely the witch must know its whereabouts, for she had sent the princess there magically, and it was often said that she communed with spirits. But when she dismissed the highwayman, she found him unwilling to leave, but rather he committed himself to her cause as a protector, For, as he said, his heart was not so cold as to let a woman who had so long resisted the evil magic of the queen go unprotected. He even consented to be bound each night so that the princess might sleep easily, if one can call easy a bed of stones and grass against her long experience of soft feather mattresses and warm blankets. But this arrangement only lasted a short while, for it was soon after that she met the first of her army, a watcher, graduated from his studies, traveling westward to the city of the setting sun. He did not at first recognize the princess, for much time had passed since their meeting, but as soon as he knew her he swore his fealty to her in gratitude for the generosity she had shown him. He too became her protector, and a worthy ally, for he had a steadfast heart and had avoided the wiles and bargains of the witch in his traveling. Indeed, he spoke of a great order of watchers who had avoided the witch's cruel dealing, harbored by the townsfolk and strengthened both by their loyalty to the princess and the tales they had collected of the witch's cruelty and deceit. His tales were those of resistance, whole cities' worth of able-bodied men and women flown to the forest in secrecy, banding together against the witch's power, united in their purpose to reinstate the true king and queen of that land, wake the slumbering prince, who the witch paraded about as proof of her authority, and discover the missing princess, as he alone now had. In his company, the princess was inspired to new deeds, and strayed from the tending of her lodestone by his encouragement. For he assured her that she need only appear among the rebel camp, and thousands would pledge themselves to her cause, uniting at a stroke an army strong enough to counter the witch's forces and power, and retake the kingdom for her sake. And indeed, it seemed that everywhere the princess went, more protectors appeared to guide her to her rightful place. The watchers, by virtue of their learning, communicated quickly over great distances, and soon their small group of three had become a merry band of a dozen, twenty, and more as they made their way to the center of the woods where the rebels had fled, an encampment many thousands strong, with skilled workers of all stripes among the refugees, traders and armorers and horsemen and tinkerers and tailors and soldiers and carpenters and coopers and thatchers and builders and tradesmen of every sort that could be imagined, it was a kingdom unto itself, cobbled together out of the dregs of many others, and there were many nobles and petty lords who remembered the generosity of the prince and the inquisitiveness of the princess, and swore their fealty to her cause without a second thought, in new found hope after long desperation. And yet this was but one stronghold among many, she was told, and the centre of their strength was located on the Isle of Lost Time, far out to sea and protected from the witch's military might by its distance. They resolved to bring her there, at great risk to themselves, and indeed the army that accompanied her was often harassed by the blank young soldiers in purple garb that she had been warned from encountering. Many losses they took, and the trail of their passage to the sea was littered with bodies, young and old, dead before their proper hour. But the princess was not prepared for a war, nor indeed for the losses they suffered for each league she traveled. She did not wish to bear the guilt or grief of the dead, no matter how fierce their loyalty or their assurances that they would rather die in her name than live as aged thralls to a false sorceress queen. To her it was a senseless war, even if for a good cause, and it seemed counterproductive in that no man, woman, or child who endured combat retained their youth unscarred by grief or terror or violence. If, she confided in the very same watcher she'd met in the woods, youth had become such a precious commodity, and her youth especially, then this was not the way to protect it. Moreover, she knew her very presence endangered them, so she rode away one night in secrecy, alone, by wooded trails and long disuse. Her last counsel to her army was of flight, or submission unto death, for it seemed that even these battles suited the machinations of the Witch Queen, And contributed to her lust for youth and power. To her community of watchers, she reminded them of their primary charge, to record these events in their books, for only that way might they resist the witch's power over age and time, preserving for eternity the deeds of these days and the potency of valor and youth and conviction. Once free of her entourage, she again entrusted herself to the tending of her lodestone and wandered through the wilderness according to its guidance. Many days she walked, alone now, accustomed to the hard ground for her bed and the fickle weather for her roof. To be alone was a relief to her, for it gave her more opportunity to reflect, though she missed the speedy travel of the clockwork butterfly and hoped the wicked Queen had not sullied or damaged it in her stewardship of the magnificent device. But she persevered. Always the lodestone led her when paths and roads failed, and she soon reached the lonely beach at the edge of the earth a featureless bank of sand before the ceaseless waves that she did not remember or recognize among the countless wonders she had known in her lifetime. Somewhere out in those waves was the sunken rod, which the prince had originally exchanged his youth to obtain. She knew she could not approach the queen empty-handed, but she knew, too, that it would be a harder bargain than this to regain her beloved prince. For now, after so much time alone, or in the company of her protectors, She knew that it was only his protection that she wanted or cared to claim to herself. Her protectors had shown fealty to her birth and station, but only he had seen fit to care for her happiness, even when it was misplaced.